Thanks for joining our YouTube channel. If you haven't done so already, please click that subscribe button to join our community. That way you get notified each and every week a message pops up. With that being said, we pray that this message encourages and inspires you to take one step closer to Jesus. What's up, risers? Good morning, everyone. If you're new to our church, my name is Brent. I get the privilege of being your lead pastor, and uh, we're going to continue to experience God together today in the Word. Hey, as we do that, we always want to celebrate, and last week we had our legacy pledges, which is kind of missions with some other things thrown in, like benevolence and things, uh, for you guys who might not be familiar with that term. And I was so proud of you guys when Pastor Ken sent the report back, uh, not just because of the amount that gets given for things like this, but to be honest, the amount of participation that happened. And uh, watching how a lot of people were giving a dollar a month or five dollars a month and things like that, and, and just getting started in their legacy giving. And I thought that was absolutely beautiful. So thank you all. Come on, put your hands together for that. This is the... Highest participation we have ever had in legacy giving at Arise, and so thank you so much for that. If you haven't given to legacy and you want to and you want to start a monthly uh, missions giving and towards legacy, you can still do that. Uh, get with the people at the connection desk and they'll give you a pledge card and you can fill that out and turn it back in. Uh, with that also being said, uh, next week is Easter. Come on, somebody. Resurrection Day. I love it. I love it. Uh, that means a couple things for us. One, uh, we will have three services at this campus starting on Easter Sunday, 8.30, 10, and uh, 11.30. 8.30, 10, and 11.30. The 8.30 service will be mask only. There's no kids ministry, no touching, no anything that would be like that. Uh, it's just basically service in here. And so we would love to have you with that. And then uh, some of you might transition into the 10 o'clock and then others into the 11.30. Uh, so we've given you, I think, three weeks or so to kind of process this. So you tell me, how many of you are, you think you're going to come to 830? I know there were some 830 people already this morning. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> I love Mary Ann's the first one. I'm coming. She wants to get church done early in the morning. Um, how many of you coming to 10? Okay. Lots of, how many coming to 1130? Probably most of you in this room, probably not. Okay, a few of you. Erica's raising her hand for everything. Um, she's on the worship team. She's here for all of them. Uh, uh, so that's going on. Uh, the 10 a.m. has Malayalam translation. The 11.30 has Spanish translation, just FYI. Uh, we will continue doing that. Uh, also, as Easter approaches, uh, we are doing all we can to make it easy for you to invite somebody to church. The statistic says that 82% of people would come to church if they were invited, but 98% of people never actually invite somebody to church. That's a crime. That's wrong. Let's break those statistics out of the, just, just get rid of those statistics, okay? Um, and so uh, let's participate. So uh, this morning on your way out, grab some invite cards, pray over them, uh, and invite at least three people with you to church next week. Bring them with you to Easter Sunday. It's an easy day to invite someone. Uh, there's yard signs that are out there that you can get to. Put these in your yard if you're allowed. If you're not allowed to put them in your yard, um, uh, as long as it doesn't block your, your view from your car, put it in your back window of your car. Uh, I've seen some people do that. I think that's a pretty cool thing to be able to do. Now, if you do that and you can't see what's behind you, don't do that because I don't want accidents. And then you're like, you said to do this. No, um, okay, just, yeah, do it if you can still see, depending on the size of your car and how it's shaped and all that. So, um, so do that. Uh, you will also see on your way out today, we will have, uh, Satan will be out there. Uh, come on, y'all. We don't let him come in, but he can stay out there. Satan will be out there, and you're going to have some little, little signs to hold that say, not today, Satan, little hashtag, not today, Satan. Uh, so do me a favor. Get a picture with Satan. Kick him in the butt. Punch him. Whatever. You can, you know, he's a college student. You know, he's, he, can, he can take it. Um, uh, you know, beat up on him a little bit and take a, take a selfie with him or whatever you want to do. There'll be some people helping you take pictures. Uh, put it on Instagram, Facebook, whatever social media accounts you have, and share the good news that way and invite people. This next series is going to be a blast. 
I told you last week, this is going to be your favorite series you've ever had at Arise uh, because it's going to have this mixture of drama slash presentation uh, throughout the whole thing, and you are going to love it, love it, love it, love it. Um, if you've ever read C.S. Lewis's book, Screwtape Letters, this is like the Arise version of that through drama, and uh, we're going to talk about how to overcome temptations uh, starting on Easter and beyond, and it's going to be really, really, really powerful. Uh, and with that being said, why don't you turn your attention to the screens and uh, watch this quick video promo for Not Today, Satan. going to be awesome. Uh, also, all this week when you see different social media ch- uh, posts the church is doing or you see us boosting posts, do me a favor and share those. That helps get the word out as well. And then last about that, pray. Pray, 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 pray. Take this whole week and be calling out to God. This is always a Sunday that people will come to church that never come to church the rest of the year. And it's one moment where God's presence can encounter them and change them and they can never be the same. And we get to be a conduit where that can happen. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, so... um. Uh, uh, I don't know if you know this about me, but uh, on the disc profile, I'm a C. On the Enneagram, I'm a force wing three. And I tend to be, especially when I go to other churches, I I see everything that's wrong. Like I notice everything that's wrong. And I also notice things that are right, but I'm very detailed with those kind of things. So I'm always seeing everything that other people don't notice. This is probably helps our church in some regards. It also drives, personally drives me crazy in some regards. It can be really hard for me to worship at times uh, because my mind gets distracted by this thing or that thing, and I'm going, why is this light like this, and why is that like that, and why? And and literally, I have to take notes on my phone so I can get it out of my head to stop processing and move on, and and I become become critical of the church world. Again, not always in a bad way, but it's in a how do we get better, how do we get better, how do we get better? In fact, some of you have probably sat with me over the course of time, and, and you've seen where, especially if you're new, you have what's considered fresh eyes. And so new people will see things that everybody else doesn't see. So oftentimes I will put new people in an awkward situation and I'll say, tell me how we get better. And they're like, I don't know, pastor. I'm like, tell me what you saw. Be open, be honest. I am raw. Just like throw it at me. How do we get better? Well, you could do this. I'm like, yes, right? I, I want to see those kind of things. And, and I end up with this kind of critical eye. I, I see everything in church. Not always critical in a bad way though, but I, I see everything. Um, and fresh eyes are very important. So, so, so a lot of times we do this in our homes, right? So, so like uh, uh, you end up with cobwebs in your house that you don't notice. And you notice them at first, but then after a course of time, you don't notice them until a guest comes over and they see the cobwebs. It's that old couch that looks horrible and stinky uh, or whatever. And, and you've sat on it for so long, you don't think anything about it anymore. But then a guest comes over and all of a sudden you're like, oh, that's just not a pretty couch. Let's hide that in the corner or something like that. Right? We, we do that kind of thing. Because when fresh eyes see it, you see things in a new way. 
I think we all need to be that way a little bit because we should take ownership of the church. We should take ownership of what God's doing and come in with the perspective of how do we make this place better. This is not the pastor's job. It's my job. This is my church. And so we should all be that way. Um, And lest you think that's a wrong thing, Jesus was that way. Jesus would actually step into things, see what was wrong, and then do his best to correct these things. And uh, In fact, um, today is, is, is Palm Sunday, and, and we're going to see this played out in just a moment. But, but before we even get there, I want to ask this question. What if Jesus showed up in your life and started critiquing your heart and your home? How good would you do? How, how many times do we not have fresh eyes any longer and we don't see the things that would actually drive Jesus crazy? What if he was critiquing us in that kind of way? How, how would we live differently? How would we see things differently? So, so today is, is Palm Sunday. Everybody say Palm Sunday. This starts what's referred to as Passion Week. Without Passion Week, there is no gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the most important week in his ministry. All of it was important, but the most important, the climax of his ministry, was this week that ended with the death on the cross and the resurrection. It's a powerful week. It's something that we should celebrate. And and this starts with Palm Sunday, which is today. Now, if you came from a traditional background... You probably were given palm branches on this day or something like that. If you grew up in kids' church, you, you glued them to a piece of paper, and you had the flannel graph, come on, y'all, and, and you put it on there or whatever. Um, but this starts uh, this week, and it starts with this triumphal entry that Jesus has. That's the way it's referred to, and that's why it's called Palm Sunday, because if you know your geography around Israel, uh, there's uh, the Mount of Olives, and then there's Mount Moriah, and there are mountains right next to each other. Nowadays, they look more like hills, but in Jesus' times, they were a little bit more like mountains. There's reasons for that that we can explain later, but, but he comes down the Mount of Olives, walking down, and as he would walk down the Mount of Olives, the Temple Mount would be right there in front of him. This was Herod's temple. This was grand and incredible and majestic, and it stood out. It was this powerful center place of worship, and so he would walk down the Mount of Olives looking at the temple, and as he hits the valley, he would then have to walk a lot of steps all the way back up to the, to the mount, to the temple mount. And as he gets in that place near the bottom, uh, people start parading around him, and they start laying palm branches down in front of him. Some of them throw their cloaks down in front of him, kind of like you might do at a wedding where the bride comes down and, and they either throw roses out first or some kind of flower, or sometimes they take a runner, like a, a white you know, uh, runner, and run it down in front of the bride, something like that. And they're preparing the way of the Lord, and they start shouting out this. They said, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Hosanna means, please save us. Save us. You are our Savior. Save us. I'm going to look at this from a different vantage point than you might normally see it. Okay? So he is having this parade uh, around him, and people are probably wondering, who is this guy? Some people seem to love him. Others are going, who is he? And you see that in the passage as well. And he goes immediately from everybody singing his praises in this parade, riding a donkey as he enters into Jerusalem. He walks up all these steps. You ever walked up a lot of steps? It can wear you out. But he doesn't just walk up in a normal fashion. He seems to be walking up very strongly, very aggressively, and he is marching up to the Temple Mount. And when he gets up to the temple, he walks into what's referred to as the outer courts. Uh, If you go to that next slide, Tony, uh, this is Herod's temple. Um, I went to his Instagram and stole this picture from him. This is Herod's temple. 
It actually is a really good picture for what it would look like. On the far left right there is where you would enter the temple in that covered area. It's called the outer courts. You had the court of the Gentiles right there. Same thing, court of the Gentiles. And as he gets right there, he starts seeing all these money changers. He starts seeing all these people who are extorting the people of God for their acts of worship. And, and as he enters, he starts to get really frustrated with what's going on. We're going to connect some dots in just a second. And so he, he steps into this. Now let me give you some background of what's going on. In order to sacrifice in the temple, you had to have an approved sacrifice. You couldn't just bring it and sacrifice it. It had to be approved by a priest to say that it's without blemish and without spot, no problems. It needs to be perfect. It needs to be holy, whole, complete. Um, and so you had to have that sacrifice approved. Well, most of the time, especially during a Passover time, you had thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of people all flocking to Jerusalem at one time. And you usually didn't bring your sacrifice with you for a couple reasons. One, your sacrifice could have a flaw given to it on the road to get there. So it might break its leg or, you know, get bitten by another animal or something. And all of a sudden, what was perfect and without blemish, by the time it got there, it has blemishes. But secondly, and even more importantly, is you would then have to have the priest in the temple approve it. And so your country priest back in Galilee or Judea, wherever you were at before, he might have approved it. But then when you get into the temple mount, now they're saying, no, we have to approve it. And we have our standards because they had been to school. It was actually a fairly long school of how to inspect animals. And so what he approved may not quite be good enough. And you may have to start all over. Are y'all with me? So you had to have these approved uh, sacrifices. What the, synagogue, not synagogue, what, the, what the temple had begun doing is expediting the worship process. It actually makes a lot of sense in our minds, has some problems associated with it, we'll get to. But they started expediting worship, and they said, listen, we got to figure out a way to get all these people into worship and all these people out of worship in a really quick fashion. So therefore, we're just going to sell the animals right there, and so they don't need to bring them with them. They can just buy the animals, they can do everything right there, and then bring it right in and have it sacrificed to go right out. It actually makes sense until it becomes evil and carnal, and the money changers and the people selling animals begin extorting. The high priest is the one that would oversee that, so he was doing it too begin extorting the people of God. And so when you went in, first of all, what, what Jesus would have seen is that the people were not allowed to use the Roman coins. It was the Greek drachma at the time. That had an image of Caesar on it. Well, you cannot make a graven image to another god. And so inside the temple, they said, you can't use that because it has an image of a person that they believe is God. You can't use that money inside the temple. Well, that makes sense, right? So we have to exchange that for the, uh, uh, for the, uh, the Hebrew coinage of the day. Um, and as they would exchange it, there was this horrible exchange rate that began to happen. And in, in order to exchange it, you had to get the, 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 the Hebrew shekel or the temple shekel and to go from the drachma to the shekel, they would charge you like a double rate, like two to one. So all of a sudden, your money didn't go very far. But on top of that, and probably even worse, is they were charging an arm and a leg for all the animals that they would sell. So an animal that, that would be worth, you know, $5, all of a sudden, they're charging $100 for it. So not only are you getting this horrible exchange rate, but you're being forced to buy an animal in order to worship and charge an exorbitant amount uh, beyond what it's actually worth. Um, and so this becomes this, this, this place of extortion, this place that's frustrating all of the people. They're annoyed because they want to worship the Lord, but they can't. Like, like the best thing that we could understand is like, like, I know it's COVID, so nobody ever goes anymore, but do you remember when you used to go to the movies? And they tell you, you can't bring any food with you. 
Why do they tell you that? Because the second you walk in, your 50-cent popcorn goes up to $50. Come on. You got to get a second mortgage by the time you buy gummy bears and raisinets. And these things that are not worth that much, all of a sudden they're charging you an arm and a leg and telling you you can't bring anything from the outside in. You have to buy from us if you want it, right? We do the same thing at Disney World, right? It's bad enough that you got to pay the fees to get into the park, but if you actually want to eat anything while you're there, you better bring another $100 because they're going to charge you the same hamburger that you could get somewhere else for $5. They're going to charge you $20 for the hamburger, right? And now you are trapped because you have to do what they're charging you. Are you with me? This is where the people of God are, except it's not for entertainment, it's for worship. Can you imagine if, if you walked in this morning and we said, uh, so you have to buy this worship guide before you walk in, and we're going to charge you $25 to buy this worship guide, but we're not going to take American money because it has presidents on it and people worship presidents or whatever, uh, so you have to change it out for a rise money, and so for every $10 you give us, uh, it's going to be worth $5, and we're going to give it back to you five, but you got to buy this, are you with me? Yeah. That, that's what's going on right here. And that's why, by the way, every once in a while somebody's like, well, we shouldn't sell things in the church. It's not selling things in the church. It's extorting the people of God in worship. Yeah. It, it's trying to, to uh, prevent them from worshiping. Yeah. So, so this is what's going on. And the people are being extorted. So I say all that to get you to this point because I want you to see this. I want us to take our Sunday school hats off for a second, put on our big boy hats. I want you to read the scripture as if you had never read it. I want you to read it as if people hadn't always told you what it meant, and you're reading it for the first time. So now, Jesus is down on the valley, walking up towards the Temple Mount. There is a parade around him, and people are singing, Hosanna! Please save us! Now, I know in one regard they're talking about saving us from Rome, but in a very real sense, they're also saying save us from what's happening in the temple. So Jesus walks up to the temple, and how is he going to respond? Well, thankfully, there is a tax collector turned disciple, radically saved guy who makes a biography of Jesus, and he writes it down in what we call the Gospel of Matthew chapter 21. Let's read the first couple verses. We're going to eventually read 12 to 17, but we're going to break it down as we go. It says, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of all those selling doves. Now, Matthew doesn't say this, but some of the other synoptic gospels that refer to it say he actually made a whip and whipped people out of the temple. Come on, y'all. Verse 13, it is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer. Interesting. When he would make that reference, it's an Old Testament prophecy that he's prophesying. When he would make that reference, every religious scholar would know what he's talking about. He doesn't finish the verse because he doesn't have to. But he says, but you have made it a den of robbers. Den of thieves, some of you might have had it memorized that way. You have made it a den of robbers. He's literally, there's a prophecy in Malachi that he's literally fulfilling in what he's doing right here by clearing out the temple from from the stuff that was going on. Now, if you're with me, say amen. amen. Let me give you some points. Number one. Let's get this started. Jesus hates anything that gets between you and God. He hates anything that we allow to get in between you and God. He said this will be a house of prayer. What does prayer do? It connects, it connects you. We use the word intercession sometimes. It's like intersection. It connects you and God. That's what this is supposed to be. But people can't connect with God because we filled it with so much garbage, and now you're extorting the people. And you got to see this because, because I know we like the hippie Jesus that's sweet and kind 
and loving and gentle and the breeze is always blowing in his hair and he looks like a European from the 1500s <laughs> and he wears sandals everywhere he goes and he just says nice things to everybody he's around. I know we love that version of Jesus, but that's not the version of Jesus we have right here. In fact, I bet you don't have this picture of Jesus on your wall. That's not the one that you put on your wall. You probably put this next one, the one with the lamb, the nice, gentle, sweet Jesus. That's the one you got on your wall. But I love this story because it, it paints the other side of the story that Jesus wasn't just the calm, sweet, gentle, pat everybody on the back and tell them how good they were, Jesus. He was the one who took sin and anything that got between you and him seriously. And he came in with a vengeance. This is Chuck Norris Jesus, y'all. <laughs> this is not our bland Sunday school Jesus. You know, the book of Revelation, John writes, and he says this. He says that, that they will hide in the rocks and caves for fear of the lamb. Think about that. Since when is a lamb scary? They're going to hide in rocks and caves for fear of the lamb. I'm waiting for Walmart to sell a sign that says, caution, attack lamb. You can put it on your fence outside your house, right? Like, like, like what, what? This is attack lamb. Beware of the lamb. That's not so intimidating. Lamb, lamb, you know, Lambo. Um, be careful. I have a lamb. Watch out. He bites. It's not so intimidating. It's not even a sheep yet. It's a lamb for crying out loud. He's a lamb, but he's also a lion. And don't think the cute and cuddly Jesus is always so cute and cuddly. He takes things that separate you and God, and he takes them out with a whip in this story. He drives them out. He's flipping tables. He's like, Lisa, we ain't doing this. The problem with what happens sometimes is we get an American version of Christianity that doesn't take our sin seriously. Sin separates us from you and God. That's the problem with it. It's not sin the problem. The problem is what it does. It separates us from you and God. And Jesus takes sin seriously. You may not, I may not, but he does. And he's serious about this. He is upset. And so he sees what's going on. And, and long before you had politicians talking about it, Jesus is draining the swamp. All right? He's like, we're fixing this thing. We're getting rid of all these people. And it's funny because um, if, if you know your, your history of the Jewish people, specifically in the temple, you know that they had uh, on average about 20 uh, guards that had no other job than protecting the temple mount. Now during Passover, they would probably have even more than 20 guards because you're expecting such large crowds, you're paying everybody overtime or whatever, right? You're bringing everybody in because there's such large crowds. You gotta maintain peace and order, make sure there's no protests and such going on, which by the way is essentially what Jesus was doing right here is a protest. And so you gotta bring in all these guards to protect it. And it's funny to me that not one guard is told in the story of how they stopped Jesus. It's not funny. That could be for a couple reasons. I've heard some theologians and scholars say it's because he was so intense. They're like, I ain't messing with that dude. He is so intense. But I think it's also because he's, a, he's one, a respected rabbi, and two, the guards knew everything that was going on was wrong. There are a few people profiting over the people of God, and even the guards are going, listen, I know we're supposed to stop this, but I'm glad he's doing it. The people of God are being extorted. And God is saying, I'm having enough. Jesus is saying, enough is enough. And he, Jesus, is on a mission to remove obstacles from your relationship with God. 
That is what he wants from you. He wants full connection between you and God and anything that gets in the way. He died and rose again so that you could have connection with God and then fights to keep that connection. So I wonder, as I was thinking about this and and pondering this story for Palm Sunday, we always focus on the parade, but not where the parade immediately led, that that it seems, at least in the theater of my mind, that he's walking through and people are saying, Jesus, save us, Lord, save us. And part of what they wanted saving from was this corrupt temple. And so he walked in the temple with a vengeance. And sometimes we we, we lose track of that a little bit. And and, and do, I wonder sometimes, because the problem that had arisen is that these leaders were making it hard for people to come to God. And I was pondering that with myself and asking this question, do I sometimes make it hard for people to come to God? Do you make it easy or hard for people to come to God? So, so in the church world in general, for years we made it hard to come to God. Okay, you can come to church, but you gotta dress this way, talk this way, act this way, be this way, think this way, and then you can fit in with all the rest of us. And we actually made it hard to come to God because we made rules that God never made. So we could beat up the church and everybody say, that's good, but I wonder how many times we've done it. Like not the church, not, not like the body of Christ, not the organization, but, but you and I. How many times have we been smart aleck to our boss And somebody else is watching that. And so when we invite them to Easter now, they're not interested in coming. And we're making it hard for somebody to come to Christ because of our attitude, our lack of love, because the way we are responding. We we can receive this ourselves. Are you all with me? Our disobedience sometimes when God's calling us to do something that we're refusing to do. I'm, I'm reminded in the book of Acts, this incredible moment happens in Acts chapter 15. Uh, it's, it's a crucible moment in the history of the church where they're trying to decide what to do with all these Gentiles who get saved. And nobody really knows what to do because this was a Jewish religion and all of a sudden all these Gentiles are getting saved and they're filled with the Holy Spirit and Peter's coming back with these reports and they're like, what do we do with these people? I don't know what to do. Do they have to follow all the laws that we've been following all of our life or not? What do we do with them? And James stands up, who's the leader of the church at the time. It's James, the brother of Jesus. And he stands up and he says this. It is, in, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. How many times do we make it difficult for somebody to turn to God because we think they have to live up to our standards and not God's grace? But that's another message for another day, so we won't, belabor, we won't beat up too many people on that one. So, so, but what's happening here is incredibly, incredibly profound. Jesus is essentially saying, and I want you to see this because I want you to go deeper than you might normally go. Jesus is essentially discovering and showing the people a new format for worship. Things are going to be different. By the end of this week, the temple would have no purpose any longer because Jesus was going to be the Passover lamb. Now picture this. Now again, what they were doing was wrong because it extorted the people, but it was done for the purpose of expediting worship because you had so many people coming and going. Jesus just walked in and destroyed the expedition of worship. So you could not hurry people through. All of a sudden, he's flipping tables. You got to go find your sheep and lamb somewhere else. All of a sudden, goats and things are running off that the, the owners are trying to catch them. All these... Jesus just wrecked the system. (laughs) If there was a steady stream of people going up to sacrifice animals, all of a sudden that steady stream just ended. He just wrecked the system. And what he is literally illustrating in a parable is that this system is about to be null and void. 
you are not going to need to bring sacrificial animals anymore because I'm about to be the sacrifice for you. You're not going to need to go through all this line and get all the way to a high priest because I am going to be the high priest for you. And he's doing a physical illustration, a physical parable that you could watch in front of people and we're about to see it played out because this is the one verse I really, really, really wanted us to see this morning. This is what we skip right over. It's one verse. It's a powerful one though, okay? Verse 14. So immediately, so he drives out everybody. The very next verse says this. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. <laughs> you you got to connect the dots between these two because this is incredible. Because you got to see this. The blind and the lame were not allowed to go in the temple. They were not supposed to be in the outer courts even. They might slip in here or there. They were not supposed to be in the outer courts. Therefore, the blind and the lame cannot worship. They cannot receive healing. But now, all of a sudden, Jesus began clearing out space, and he found that they came to him. See, what is Jesus saying? People come to Jesus, not the temple any longer. <laughs> <laughs> This is a physical parable to say, you don't have to go to the high priest any longer. You don't have to go to the temple mountain any longer. You just come to me. And all of you who couldn't come before, now you just come right into my presence and I will bring the very healing that you've been looking for because you come to Jesus, not the temple. But let's turn this into a New Testament context. You need to go to Jesus, not the church. Some people, we've grown up in a society, and I know there's some symbolism sometimes that's, that's okay and good, but we've grown up in a society that says I gotta get to a building in order to worship God. We've replaced the temple with the church. In fact, depending on what your background is, if you, especially if you have a Spanish background, you probably referred to the church as the temple. So I'm going to the temple. No, 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 the temple was obsolete. Gee, you, you are the new temple. You are the new temple. So, so the temple becomes obsolete and, and, and we come to Jesus, not the temple. I'm thankful for pastors and I'm thankful that you can come to us for prayer, but you don't, uh, you don't really have to come to us. You can go straight to Jesus. You can skip me, the middleman, and go straight to Jesus at any time. Now I'm thankful for counseling and different things that we do in the church that's a blessing and, and even speaking like this, but you know you don't have to come to me to get a word from God. You can go to God to get a word from God. You don't have to go to the priest, the pastor. You can go straight to Jesus. And there's a physical illustration that he's showing everybody right here that when you and I read it, we just skip over. We don't catch it all that often. And this whole thing was supposed to happen that the temple was supposed to point people to Jesus, but instead the temple had become about the temple instead of about Jesus, instead of the Messiah. You ever have like a child... Like we do this a lot with Emma right now because of her age. She's, she's turning one on Tuesday. And um, you ever have a child and you like point to something and you're like, look at that. And instead of looking at what you're pointing at, they look at your finger. Okay? You're like, no, over there, over there, okay? Over there, over, right? This is what had begun to happen with the temple. Instead of the temple pointing people to Jesus, they had started staring at the temple and they had started worshiping in the temple. In fact, one of the reasons that Jesus is crucified is because at one point in this Passion Week, he says, I will destroy this temple and rebuild it. And they said, whoa, what, who? you can't touch the temple. And Jesus is going, no, you're, you're about to see all the shift. That temple's about not to matter. It's big, it's beautiful, it's amazing, but you are going to be even more amazing. Let, let, let's keep going. Point number two, because I want you to see this along with that same verse I just read. I love it. If you want God to work, 
clear the floor. This is, this is where I want to stay for just a second because this was so powerful to me as I began to read it. Because the, the outer court was full of money changers and full of people selling animals and full of the ruckus of this marketplace that had entered the temple region. And then there was no place for people to be healed. There was no place for people to worship. All of a sudden, Jesus clears it out. He clears the floor and miracles start happening. Miracles start happening in the midst of the people when they clear the floor. You ever want to do something really awesome? You always got to say, clear the floor. Clear the floor. Remember when you were a kid and you were about to do that triple backflip, axle, kamikaze jump into the pool? Like, give me some room. Give me some room. I remember years ago when I was a kid, my brother turned 18. There was this big birthday party at our house. It was awesome. All of his friends were over. All these people here, they had all this dance music. We had cleared the living room. Come on, y'all. Cleared the living room, made a dance floor, and, and this music's playing. And I remember my brother said, clear the floor. And he took off running, and he tried to do some dance move, and he like flipped three times and landed on his head, and everybody laughed, and it was awesome. Sometimes if you really want to see miracles... If you really want to see something awesome in your life, you got to clear the floor first. You got to make room for Jesus to work. Oh, come on, somebody. <coughs> Jesus cleared the floor to make room for miracles. And people who had never been able to encounter God before because they were lame and blind, all of a sudden started encountering Jesus because he cleared the floor. Sometimes you and I need to clear the floor. Why? Because nothing beats an encounter with Jesus. Amen. You can go to Disney World and blow all your money and get highs on roller coasters, but nothing beats an encounter with Jesus. You can go to the greatest shows, the greatest restaurants, but nothing beats an encounter with Jesus. But we have a hard time having an encounter with Jesus in our life because our life is full of news and social media and relationships and this thing and that thing that are not always bad. But Jesus is going, can we just clear the floor so I can show up and move? Can we make some space in your calendar for me to actually do something, right? Miracles happen when we clear the floor. Why? Because you Get this, you are the temple of God now. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3.16. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and the God's spirit dwells in your midst? You are now the temple of God. So this, this physical parable that Jesus is doing, wiping and clearing out the temple so that people can move, now you are the temple. Is Jesus still allowed to clean you out so that he can move and people can be healed through your hands and your feet? and your witness, or are we so cluttered with life and the busyness of life? Sometimes it's not even bad stuff. It's just cluttered. It's just cluttered. We're so cluttered with stuff that we can't hear Jesus' voice anymore, that we're not recognizing it, that we're not being obedient to it, and all of a sudden the miracle that he wants to do in you and through you can't come in you and through you because we're so cluttered. If God inspected our life, what would he remove so that he could have space to heal people? What would he move? What would he move? A couple months ago now, I, don't, I guess it's been a couple months ago, I started having chest pains. Preached two services in this room having chest pains. Didn't know for sure what it was. Went home, kept getting worse, kept getting worse, kept getting worse. Finally, and many of you know this story already, but finally went to the, to the hospital at 2 a.m. on Tuesday morning or Monday night, depending on how you look at it, having these really bad chest pains and couldn't breathe. And I get to the hospital... And the doctor said, there's 95% there's blockage in your heart. You're having a heart attack. 
I'm not having a heart attack. Come on. Too young for that. So there's 95% blockage in your heart, so we need to go in and put some stents in and clear up this blockage that's going in your heart. And as long as you have 95% blockage, you're not going to be able to function like you functioned before. Even before I knew that, I, I had a, a, a week or so before that, I was on the treadmill, and it was the weirdest thing. Like, like I, I, I was only like a mile, and that's not very far for me. And it's like a mile, and I'm just out of breath and tired. I'm like, <gasps> why, why am I so tired? And I just thought I wasn't feeling well and had a little bit of a sickness. It's during the winter, and, and I just thought maybe it was something like that. I didn't realize that there was a blockage issue. And as long as I had a blockage issue, I was not going to be able to function at the level that God had intended me to function. Come on, y'all. What blockage does your heart have? I'm not talking about your physical heart. Your spiritual heart. What blockage is keeping what God wants to get through you from coming into you? And now all of a sudden, I got all this blockage. I didn't even know that God wanted to use me this way, but I try to be used by God and it just doesn't work very well. I try to be used by God, but nothing seems to happen. I, I stumble over my own words and I have... Have you ever considered maybe there's some blockage in your heart, your spiritual heart? And God's going, listen, I want to speak to you, but you can't hear me because all you hear is everything else. You ever been in a concert of loud music or whatever, even worship like this and trying to talk to somebody, and obviously you, you can't hear them? We got so many voices screaming in our ears, we can't hear the voice of the Lord. You know, with me. What, what blockage do you have in your own hearts? Could be greed. Could be forgiveness, could be lust, could be anger, could be all kinds of things. But what happens over time is we get a buildup, just like with a heart attack, you get a buildup that usually happens so gradual you don't notice it. It's that fresh eyes thing. All of a sudden, you've been living in this house all these years, and you don't notice that scuff on the wall that used to drive you crazy, but now you don't notice and it just goes on with life until somebody comes in with fresh eyes. And that person sees it and they say, oh my goodness, have you seen that? Oh, yeah, it's been there for five years, but I haven't paid any attention to it. You get a buildup of plaque between you and God. And all of a sudden, you can't get, God can't get through you what he needs to get through you. Miracles need to happen through your heart and your hands and your mouth. Deliverance, salvations. But so oftentimes, we're so gunked up. We need Jesus to clear the floor. We need Jesus to clear the floor. So I ask this question, does Jesus have authority to cleanse your temple? I'm going to let that rest there for just a second. Does Jesus have authority to cleanse your temple? I know we all shouted a second ago when he cleansed the temple. Yeah, come on. But what if he wants to cleanse your temple this morning? What if there's some stuff you're watching that you really like watching that he's saying, no, nah, we, we got to get rid of that? What if there's some people that you're around that you really like being around, but, but he's going, no, nah, no, nah, I don't think you should be around them anymore. We never talk about sin in the church anymore, it seems like. Isn't that a funny one? Sometimes Jesus wants to cleanse your temple. And by the way, I don't know why, but all this week, I don't know if it's this service or the next. This is for somebody. God would not let me leave this. Everybody's house has a junk drawer. Right. I don't care who you are. You've got a junk drawer somewhere. Usually in your kitchen or somewhere. And it's like the spot where everything goes that you don't know where it should go. And you've got pins and scissors and and just junk, right? All just like stuff that's on the counter ends up in the junk drawer. And, and maybe once every 10 years you go through it or something, but it's, just, it's a junk drawer. Everybody has a junk drawer. Can, can Jesus get in your junk drawer? 
Because the junk drawer hides all the ugliness that we don't want people to see. You know, they come in, oh, the counter looks so clean. Don't look at the junk drawer. though. Don't, like, like, you can pull out that drawer with the dishes. You can pull out that drawer with the silverware. Don't pull out that one. Right, right. How many times is God trying to cleanse us, trying to make us holy, trying to make the floor clear for him to move, but instead of actually dealing with stuff, we just threw it in a junk drawer. Is this too heavy? Can you all receive this? See, every once in a while, we just need a good house cleaning. Every once in a while, you need a spring cleaning. Things just build up. You got gunk and grime in your own life, just like in your own house. And every once in a while, you just got to take some Clorox. You got to take the blood of Jesus Christ to it all over again. <clears throat> you know, we, we, we started out this series talking about the tell. If you don't know what that is, go back and, and listen to week one. We've referred to it every week so far. And, and I really want you to see this because what happens when life destroys you, that's one thing. But sometimes, in order for God to build you up, he's got to take layers off. Sometimes, in order to get where God wants to take you, he's actually going to destroy some walls in your life so that he can rebuild stronger and better. It's addition by subtraction. Sometimes the foundation is weak, and you got to take everything down back to where it starts and let him rebuild it all over again. Come on, y'all. Sometimes that's the way it works. It's addition by subtraction. All right, let's keep reading these last couple verses, and we'll wrap up verse 15 through 17. All right, so verse 14, he heals the sick and lame, verse 15 through 17. But when the chief priests and teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. First of all, does anybody else find it ironic? They didn't even mention that he just flipped over tables. He just whipped people out of the temple. He, like they don't seem to be so upset about that. Come on, y'all. <laughs> Like, I think if I were a priest, I might be like, hey, like Jesus, you couldn't have like come to him and be like, hey guys, do you mind if we don't sell things here right now? It's just not the best environment. I'm not sure the father wants that here. No, he, didn't. he went all kamikaze, Rambo, Lambo on him, right? They don't say anything about that. Why, why? Because they knew better. They knew what they were doing was wrong. They also knew he was fulfilling prophecy in Malachi. So they knew. But, but all of a sudden, the kids are singing praises, and I have to say, thank the sick and the lame are there too. All of a sudden, they're singing praises, and they're indignant. <laughs> and they said, do you hear what these children are saying, they asked him? They're asking Jesus. Yes, Jesus replied. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise? And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. <laughs> Point number three, and I'm wrapping up. True worship happens in cleared spaces. As soon as you clear the space, it allows real worship to start coming on because we can fake worship really well in the church. We can be sleeping with somebody on Saturday night, show up on Sunday morning, get our hands lifted up, start speaking in tongues. Start, we can fake worship really well. But if you want pure worship, if you want real worship, you got to clear the stage, get it right between you and God. Some of us, that's this place this morning and you clear the stage, and then you come in with a pure heart. Then you come in crying out to God. That's what Jesus says to the woman at the well, John chapter 4, verse 21 through 24. Watch this. He, he, she, says, she says, where are we supposed to worship, on this mountain or that one? In other words, in Jerusalem or some other place? And he said, woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when we will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Well, that, that's a funny one. That, that alone would have caused so much controversy at the time. No, we worship in Jerusalem. 
And I said, no, you're missing it. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come. A time is coming and has now come. He's literally demonstrating in the temple mount that the time has come. Yet now a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. In other words, it's not about this mountain, that mountain, this tabernacle, this temple. It's not about taking this animal, this pigeon, this dove, this goat. It's about people who are being honest and real and truly. (laughs) Are y'all seeing this? People who are truly coming before God with a clean slate, saying, God, I want to be made new. I want to be made clean. I want all this clutter to be out of my life so I can come to you in truth. Because sometimes we worship in lies. I surrender. Oh, what about that thing? Oh, not that thing, God. I surrender. What about that person? No, not that person. I surrender. We don't worship in truth and in spirit. We worship in the flesh and in lies. Come on, y'all. And that's what Jesus is demonstrating right here. Listen, it's not about all these practices anymore. You just come to me. Wipe it all clean. Clear the stage. (laughs) And so all these kids, all these people are singing praises to God. I love it. This is so beautiful. You got to get the context of what's happening. You got sick and lame people who were never allowed to worship their entire life, who are now worshiping Jesus and it's making everybody mad. Listen, when you truly get delivered, you can't help but worship. When you truly have an encounter with God, you ain't got to fake it. You can't help but call out to God when you truly get, oh, come on. You can't stop, won't stop, and Jesus refused to stop them. They're calling out to Jesus like he's God, and the, and the Pharisees and religious leaders are losing their minds. He's going, they can't stop, they won't stop. I'm not about to stop them, and you're not going to stop them either. Come on, somebody, because when God really gets a hold of your life, when you've been delivered, you can't help but worship. And when you worship like that, devils hate it and religious people can't stand it. Come on, y'all. That's why religious people come into our atmosphere sometimes. They're like, that church, they're just like loud and crazy. And I don't, listen, you'll get delivered. When Jesus touches you, you'll get loud and crazy too. You go stick your finger in a light socket, I guarantee you, you're going to move, you're going to dance, you're going to shake. Why? Because you just encountered real power. When you encounter the power of Jesus Christ, there is nothing like it, and you will never be the same. And when you encounter him over and over and over and over and over again, you start to be developed into the nature of God. Come on, y'all. And Jesus refused to stop them. I just got to say this to somebody. Don't let the haters stop you. There are some people that are going to hate the way you decorate your office cubicle because you got Jesus on it. Don't let them stop you. Some people are going to be like, get in your car and want you to turn off the worship music. Don't let them stop you. Don't let the haters stop you from worshiping Jesus. Well, what if they cancel me? Who cares if they cancel you? This cancel culture thing is just ridiculous. Whoever cared that they liked me or not? Anybody understand that? Like, oh, 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 they're canceling. Who cares if they cancel me? I care if Jesus cancels me. I don't care if everybody else in the world does, but I care if Jesus cancels me. And worship is what keeps me connected with Jesus. 
That's the only one that I'm concerned about canceling me. Are y'all with me? I have to worship him because he's changed me. He's touched me. He's rebuilding me. I have to worship him. I can't not. I don't care if they cancel me. I don't care if they laugh at me. I don't care if they make fun of me. I'm not doing it for them. They laughed at you. They eventually, at the end of this week, they're going to put him on a cross. They may put you on a cross too. You're going to find out how you're really willing to walk with Jesus. <sighs> hmm. At the end of this week, so this is Passover week in the Jewish calendar. The week starts, and it's, it's really important that you catch the connotation of what Jesus is doing here. At the start of that week, that literally that day, that Sunday, at the start of that week of the Passover week, the Jewish people would clean their house of leaven. Leaven represented sin in the Old Testament, and uh, especially as they came out of, uh, of bondage, and it represented this place of, of, of sin, and so we got to get rid of all leaven, and they, they went out of bondage without leaven, by the way, too, and so they had to get rid of leaven, and so literally they would go around the house, and, and it was like every little crumb, they had to make sure it was all gone, so any, like, you know, cracker that had spilt over here, you know, if you got kids, you know all about that, and so, so they go around the house, and they're cleaning up the leaven from their house. Are you with me? Jesus, on the exact same day that people all over Jerusalem and all over, all over Israel are cleaning their house, starts cleaning his father's house. So no, no, we're fixing this. We're fixing this. Palm Sunday, maybe for you and I, might be about you and I cleaning our house. And I'm not talking about the one with the roof. I'm talking about the one inside of you. Cleaning our house. Cleaning it out all over again. Is Jesus cleansing your life? in your heart? Is Jesus cleansing your life in your heart? I end with this. Go ahead and stand up with me if you would. <clears throat> this, interestingly enough, um, this is the second time that Jesus cleanses the temple. The first time is towards the beginning of his ministry in John chapter 2. Uh, he goes in and he clears the temple in a very similar fashion, and they seem to not get it. They seem to not uh, uh, accept it long-term. And so before you know it, three years later, at the end of his ministry, you find him cleansing the temple again, a second time. That just reminds me for all of us in this room. Jesus might have cleansed you five years ago, 10 years ago, five months ago, five days ago. But we gotta keep coming to him over and over. We live in a world where the sin will come at you like you're a magnet. And if, and if we're not careful, we just go through the motions, going through the religious practices, and we're not worshiping in spirit and in truth. We're worshiping in the flesh and in a lie. And it's not just a one-time cleansing. This morning is a moment for all of us around this room to say, Jesus, wash me again. Come on, just, you don't have to repeat these words. Just pray with me. Jesus, wash me again. Make me clean. Again, you don't have to, you don't have to say what I'm saying. Just, just, just pray with me. David would cry out to God and say, search me, O God, know my thoughts. God, what is it in my temple inside of my heart that I need to have washed away? What are the things that I'm clinging to that are separating me and you? God, we give you permission this morning to cleanse us. We give, us, we give you permission this morning to take the whip to overturn our own tables, to drive out our own demons, <laughs> to drive out the things that wanna separate you and I and our sins. 
God, forgive us. Wash us. Make us clean. Lord, I pray right now as you're speaking over people this morning that you not only wash us clean, but you also give us the, give us the ability, the strength to take the steps because sometimes it is partially up to us to not fall in these pits over and over again, to get rid of this channel or this thing or whatever. Wash us clean, clear the floor. We give you permission to cleanse us from all unrighteousness over and over and over again. And anything that separates us from you, anything, Lord, remove it so that we can walk and worship in spirit and in truth. So we can be a temple that the blind and the lame can come to and experience miracles. Wash us, Jesus. Wash us, Jesus. In just a few days after this story, Jesus would be nailed to a cross. And the people not understanding what was going on, many of the same people who had cried out, Hosanna, please save us, Lord, save us. Many of those same people would not understand that while he's on the cross, he was literally saving them. There are some of you in this room that you may not have ever grasped it before, but there's something inside of you that's cried out, Lord, save me. I'm unworthy, I'm not good enough, I'm not this, I'm not that. And we're crying out to God, not realizing that the very thing you're crying out to is here this morning to save you. His death on the cross and his resurrection that we'll celebrate next week creates the environment of his saving grace in our lives. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? For some of us in this room, it's time to cry out, Hosanna, Lord, save us. Hosanna, please save us. With your heads bowed and eyes closed for just a second, if that's you in this room and you say, Pastor, I need to give my life to Christ. I don't want to embarrass you, but I do want to pray over you. Just stick your hand up and wave it at me around this room. Amen. Amen. Come on, everybody pray together. Say, Jesus, I need you from this day forward. I surrender my life completely to you. Make me new. Wash me in your blood. And I'll follow you from this day forward. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, maybe you just gave your life to Christ. Do me a favor if that's you. Tell somebody. I'm going to invite our prayer team to go ahead and make your way up front. But if you gave your life to Christ, tell somebody. Uh, uh, text, 21, text Jesus to 21777. We would love to be able to pray with you and agree with you this morning uh, concerning, concerning that and start a little relationship with you. We're going to close like this. Eric is going to sing one last song. And if you want special prayer for anything, we want you to come on up front and we want to pray and agree with you. If you'd like to receive communion this morning, it's on my right and left underneath the screens and we can officiate communion with you as well. And then in just a couple minutes, uh, I think it's Pastor Ken, I believe it is, that'll be coming up and closing us out. But let's worship the Lord for this one last song. And as we do, let's just continue to invite God to clean us up. Thank you for watching this message today. We ask that you hit the subscribe button and share this message on all social platforms. Man, we are hoping that you were encouraged and blessed by what you heard. And we cannot wait to see you next time.